I'm Larry Fork, and this is a limited perspective sampler. Right, so since about 2017 sometime, I've managed to record 17 episodes. And what you'll get in this bonus episode is approximately three to four minutes of each one of those. So you'll get a little taste of... A little tasty little sampler of the Limited Perspective podcast. So, hope you enjoy it. In order of appearance, they will be number one, Seth Hendershot, number two, Liam Park, number three, Shadow Brothers, Derek Adams and Jonathan Sparks of Shadow, Shadow Public Radio, Jordana Diaz, Aaron Strand, Kevin Dunn, Mark Katzman, Cortez Garza, Mr. Jordan, Mr. Tonks, that's Tommy Jordan and William Tonks, Dan Edgar, Greg Benson, Ian Watson, and Justin Daniel, and then Andy Dixon, Jen Pirelli, makers of the Georgia Guidestone movies, uh, Mike Reeser, Christy Sinkson, and Paul Floyd, then Benjamin Roberts and Katie Gregg of Dominer Films, and then last but not least, Ian McFarlane. The last three will be out soon, starting this Thursday, February 28th. Please remember to subscribe, rate, and review, preferably five stars. Oh, and become a supporting member on my Patreon page at patreon.com slash limited perspective. For $1 a month, you can join the exclusive behind-the-scene Facebook page. For $5 a month, you'll get that, plus five beautiful stickers. (laughs) Five beautiful stickers with the limited perspective logo on them that I designed. Worth it. Let's start the show. The, the internal you is always like, well, I'm not, you know, interesting enough to be in that or to have, you know, for people to be like, ooh, oh, you're so yeah, yeah. you know, or whatever, you know, um, which I, I get sometimes here, and it's 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 funny. I, I, uh, I'm always taken aback by that. Well, I'll tell you, that um, reminds me that I was going to say, this is not entirely true, but I'll simplify it. I'm glad I met you um, and got to know you as just a person, you know, that sometimes plays a guitar and yeah, drums yeah. in a band and runs a coffee shop, rather than what I learned when I did my research after I, you know, Googled you. I was like, oh, wow, Randall Bramblett, that's, that's impressive, and this Keshubashi, you know. I knew you toured with them, but then when I didn't, like, you know what, learn about these bands he played in, yeah. you know, and I, I was, like, impressed with both those two, and then I... Had heard the name Fuzzy Sprouts because my brother was around Athens at the time. Oh, nice! And uh, and I, I think he maybe roomed with Tim for a while. Oh, cool! So I I, I, reasoned, I looked at them like, damn, that that's good. Why, Larry? Where you know I was in town, I just didn't get out, and I didn't get out much. So yeah, so yeah, I was I was very impressed. So um, thanks, man. Yeah, the, what's uh, I'll I'll make you repeat some of the stuff I heard. Sure, not word for word, but I'll uh, ask some similar it, questions. So yeah, great. okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, what? I'll just start with music. Like, what what sparked you to... What, what about music piqued your interest in, and I guess what made you think, I'm going to do that? Um, that, you know, that it, it, and I think this is probably true for a lot of musicians and artists in general, like, or, or I mean, really anybody that picks a, a path, um, or that, it, or a path picks them, maybe. Mm-hmm. Um, I... Yeah, I was just fascinated with music, at, at, like, super young. I, like, you hear most of the time when, when mm-hmm. people are interviewed and they're like, oh, I started at a very early age. And, you know, mm-hmm. that it sounds cliche, but it, it certainly was true for me. Like, I, 
I just didn't understand why everybody didn't want to do it. You know, mm-hmm. I was mm-hmm. just like, this is awesome. This is amazing. Mm-hmm. I was listening to Beach Boys records that my dad had. Um, we were we were brought up like super strict Assembly of God Christian mm-hmm. um, in the town I lived in in New Jersey. And uh, and so exposure to like secular music was pretty rare. Um, so it was like really easygoing stuff like Beach Boys and um, Richie Valens and, and stuff like that. And um, my dad had a ton of records. He was an old hippie. You know, he, he uh, ended up going to Vietnam uh, because he he dropped out of college, but uh, but he had a great record collection and a really great taste in music. And he would let me get away with listening to that stuff. But mm-hmm. the new, more modern stuff, you know, in the early '80s, um, the hair metal yeah. bands that <laughs> I wanted to listen to, he was not into. Um, but but all that started, you know, when I was a kid, just a little kid listening to music. And I think listening to the Beach Boys taught me a lot about harmony and and yeah, melody and cool. and just how songs are constructed. You know, mm-hmm. those guys were. Yeah, yeah. Or pros, you know, obviously. Um, and, and the best at it for that time. Um, but I just, I was just fascinated with it. I, I really probably could have played any instrument. Uh, I just happened to land on drums uh-huh. because that's, my dad played some drums in college uh-huh. and, you know, when he was young. And um, I saw pictures of him doing that and I was like, well, that, uh-huh. you know what I mean? That sounds good. Let's do that. See, yeah. But it could have been anything. It could have mm-hmm. been bass or, you know, tuba or whatever, you know, whatever. I just yeah, happened yeah. to land on drums and, and really loved it. Um, and, and he, I'm okay. sorry. I know you're good. I was going to say he got me a little paper, you know, drum set, a little cheap mm-hmm. uh, Sears catalog drum set when I was like seven. Mm-hmm. And I started banging around on that. And, and, so. <laughs> and well, you know, listen, I'm not a, I'm not, I'm personally not a baseball person, but I know there's a huge interest in it. And I have, I have baseball uh, friends and enthusiasts. So, well, I started the baseball it, thing because yeah, uh, Georgia the, came to me and uh-huh. Steve Weber was the coach over there then. And they had, uh, had a really good team that year. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Several kids were going to have to go to summer school, and, and someone knew of my interest in baseball. And I had done some scouting once upon a time. And uh, they said, why don't you organize a team? And we had already organized an adult baseball league in town here with Gerald right. Decker. Uh-huh. And... Uh, just it was a natural thing to go to the next step would be to have a college only team. But describe how that uh, gratifies you because I'm not, you know, I'm well, like, see, nobody would hire me as a baseball coach, so I started my own team. So I see. So, you know, <laughs> and it's sort of like I've always done. No one hired me to be a film producer and director, so I right. wrote my own screenplay. Same here. And, no one's asked me to know? interview anybody. And, and so you just go yeah, ahead and so do it, you know? There you go. Yeah, you're, that's right. You're, you're, uh, you're uh, officially podcast number two. Wow. So, wow. So somebody beat me out number one. Eh? Well, Seth Hendershot. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, so that sounds like, you know, there's, once I, once I started talking to someone, I realized, I can, we could go on for hours. There's, there's a lot, to, once you open the book, there's a lot to read. You know, there's, you know. When I first came here, this is the, well, this, this was an article in Charlotte Magazine they did on me before I left Charlotte. Is that you? Yeah, that's me. Sir. Before I left Charlotte. But you, am I right? You had red hair. Uh, when you were uh, blondish, blondish, blondish okay. Auburn highlights, and that black and white. But when I came, when I came here, I mean, I was adjunct faculty at the College for Financial Planning, which is uh, the, the the basically the school that started you, financial planning. Did you go to college? Yeah. What did you major in? in uh, business, business, finance, insurance. That was really combined. Okay. This is what you know. You, you probably don't remember Classic City Live. This was a local magazine. Uh, I've, I've heard. And, um, 
at the time. What's that? Yeah. No, no. I, I'm the. What is it? Does it say my name on there or something? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. There I am. And uh, people, when I came to Athens, no, nobody knew what Liam was. So, so I used to tell people, just call me Bill. Billy was my nickname. Yeah, that was, it was Liam. They would call me Liam or Lem. Lem. Hey, Lem. Because you can't look at that. You can't look at that. I hated it. You know? So, anyway, and so I, I come to town, they do a nice feature article about me. I mean, Charlotte doesn't. I, we, I did the first sports drama for ESPN. Uh, so, all of this stuff. Uh, you know, there's a few of these. There's a couple other films I did that just uh, the, the publicity that came through. Giant notebook full of stuff. And these are just a few of What's that? Giant notebook full of Liam Park stuff. And, you know, of course, we've got the website for Best of Unknown Athens, and it's just copies of that. And some of the other shows that we're going to be basically comparing ourselves to, like E-Town or uh, Mountain Stage, uh, even Austin City Limits. Okay. And um, let's see. It's Friday. Right, right. We think we're going to jump in and take that void. You know, yeah, if yeah. I want to do a weekly show, I don't know if I can do. Take the... I don't know. They're not going to pay me what they paid Rob Holmes. I'm sure, yeah. you know. Yeah. So, I don't. but you, you know, you put. Your... But this is the letter of intent from uh, Chris Shoup at University of Georgia. Okay. About you know uh, Georgia through the uh, business program, the, the um, music business program, is providing us with interns who will do the editing, will help us with camera work, will do right. some of the right. other production work that whatever we need them to do. Um, now, if we end up record, if we have a tough time with a song and the song portion took a little longer than you know twenty thirty minutes, um, we'll edit out the times that I repeat. Uh-huh. Like mm-hmm. I will go th- sometimes if I'm having a tough time with a tune, I will go through the same section over and over and over until I yeah. get okay. to where I want it to be. I see. So what we'll do is sometimes we'll cut out a couple of those repeats just to sort of. Yeah, and same thing, like, if I'm sitting over here, and I'm, it's literally just five minutes of me typing. Oh, or me okay. just sitting here thinking. Yeah, mm-hmm. so sometimes yeah. we'll take... you got to trim that out. So we'll take that five minutes of typing, make it, like, a minute of typing with me trying to working on music underneath. So. Yeah, so I did, I did sort of, I um, was like, how do they do it so fast, you know, some 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 of them just like some pop right out. Are like that, but yeah. some of them like are like, oh, and we try to be pretty honest when it was hard. Mm-hmm. Like we'll say it's hard, and also with the first couple podcasts we worked really hard. Really, Jonathan worked the most hard because he's the one that's doing the editing. I'm slowly learning so I can help, but it's mm-hmm. I'm not I'm not smart about that stuff. <laughs> but um, it's a learning curve. It's, it's, yeah. it's hard to learn at our age, um, but. Um, but we, we talked a lot about the narrative mm-hmm. of writing the song. Mm-hmm. Like, we wouldn't want to throw something away if it's part of getting to the final product. Yeah. Like, yeah, if we go down a dead end, that might, like, the, the, the tendency is you want to throw that away because it's a dead end. Mm-hmm. But if that dead end led you to what was the really good idea that made it into the song. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, we, we, don't, we don't want, especially because we want other songwriters to listen. I think that's our core audience. Like, right. other songwriters primarily, but also just other creative people, people who make stuff. 
And we don't want, like, our goal is never to make it, like, try to do, like, a magic trick to make it seem like it's super easy. <laughs> and right. then it's done. And then it's done. We did it. Um, well, I do benefit from listening to your, to your process. Yeah, yeah. But because we want, we think it's yeah. helpful to, like, hear us be like, no, that doesn't work. I'll just try this, you know, kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Well, um, then it, it forces you to do it. Because, mm-hmm. I mean, there are, there have been many, not many, we haven't done many, but there have been a few episodes where we just weren't in the mood to do it. <laughs> Yeah, we really had to like we had to work. Like, we had to like yeah. drink a lot of a lot of white mochas, white mochas, and uh, and and you know say okay, fine, just write write something. Yeah, write just it. get to like. Well, um, uh, how was your mood when you were writing um, "Stuck in the Mud"? <laughs> <laughs> it was an okay sort of day. I mean, we were. We weren't like, we must make this the best country song. We were just having fun with it that mm-hmm. day. Mm-hmm. And having having a, a, our first guest, I guess, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, in the studio with us, uh, it, was just, oh, yeah. it, it was a fun day. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, I think generally that was kind of just a fun episode. We didn't really go into a lot of... Yeah, politics. we didn't get lost. We didn't get lost mm-hmm. in politics or anything like that <laughs> that day. Um, yeah, that, that song, like, I don't know, like, uh, I like it. But I think sometimes when we do those, like, big genre, like, the same thing we do, we did R&B. We get kind of, like, mm-hmm. like paralyzed a little bit, like, but what kind of R&B? Yeah, yeah. And, like, you know, like, what, uh, you know, so it can, yeah. it's a little yeah. difficult for us to really, like, get our wheels yeah. into it sometimes, but that's okay. Right, is it better to have more limitations or to have a, a, a no limitation? Limitations are the best. Yeah, very specific. Uh, I've liked the most the times where we've given ourselves limitations or done yeah. a challenge or, like, yeah. I think next, like, next week we should, like, Solicit a challenge, sure, just to like stay loose and freshen up and that kind of yeah. thing. As long as it's not mansplaining. No, we're not going to do that. that in, in, an R&B, oh, yeah. in an R and B, that was hard. I have, yeah, I heard you uh, struggle through some of your songs. It's hard. <laughs> I can, uh, I can sympathize. I would never, you know. I also would uh, listen to you guys. I'm like, okay, I see how pros do it, you know. And uh, but I, I certainly, in my little like third chord songs. I don't want to do that publicly until I come out with my, you know, yeah. finished product. <clears throat> I mean, there was some nervousness sure. like when we first started. Like, the first episode we recorded, John was like, we can't release it. Let's re-record <laughs> it all. We can do better. And we had to, like, no, no, no. This is the whole point is to, like, yeah, right, open right. up the hood and let people Keep see in. And that's going to mean sometimes they're going to see stuff we would rather than not see. Wanting to be my professional, like... Whatever I have my degree in self, and then right, and right. then making my videos, which is my real, like which is my passion. Right. Um, just because I think some people don't realize, like I I went to drama school and then I studied to be a marriage and family therapist. Right. And I think that therapy and acting are so connected. I mean, mm-hmm. it's about the human condition and about getting into character and about mm-hmm. listening and about empathy and about you know embodying that and figuring out people's lives in a way. You definitely do that in your. Thank you. Videos. Yeah, Thank you. I'm very, glad you got that. <laughs> yeah, and you and you um, you sort of um, you know it's it's fun to watch things from a woman's perspective, and there's a lot, and it's I do it's, have a perspective. Yeah, you do. Have, fair enough, and 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 you know the guys can pay attention. It's like it's and it's it's palatable. You're not you're you sort of beat up on the boys in a friendly way. <laughs> well, thank it's not you. Yeah. It's not it's not hurtful, but it's right. you know you, there are certain realities because. <laughs> 
they're made different. Right. It's true. I think that for sure. And I, it's funny you say that it's palatable because I have an ex-boyfriend who's like, if I, because he apparently still watches my stuff, but he's like, if I saw this and I didn't know you, I'd think you hate me. Oh, really? <laughs> and I was like, no, I'm poking fun at myself and I'm poking yeah, fun you, at the situations. Exactly. Like, I'm taking just as much shots at myself as I am That's true. You, the guys. But it's I very think, apparent. I, you know, I have to get some material out of Mm-hmm. These some, yeah. at times horrible dating experiences yeah. and whatever. But it's I mean if it's, if it were my ex girlfriend, there might be other <laughs> feelings associated I've, with it. I've, I've made fun of him on a few occasions, mm-hmm. like so. I guess maybe people don't like to. Mm-hmm. Well, the thing is though, if it's if it's him, if it's pers- I'm not there. Yeah, yeah, therapist. no. Okay, <laughs> but if it's personal to him, then he doesn't. Know that it's about, right. He's too attached yeah. to the <laughs> to, to the representation of possibly. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And you can tell me what uh, if you don't want something. Oh, you know, I don't care. No, it's okay. fine. I put myself on the internet. It's fine. Okay, all right. Yeah. <laughs> well, um, so so did you you switch majors at some point? Or? Well, I went to drama school, and that was a two-year acting conservatory, the okay. American Academy of Dramatic Arts. Shout okay. out! If and you, that was where? That was in Los Angeles. Los Angeles. They okay. have a the school in New York too. Okay. Um, it was an awesome school, and I got to act and sing and dance and you know cry and be friends with all the emotional fun people, uh-huh. which is those are my people. Uh-huh. And then I was like. I'm done with school now. I'm going to go be an actress because I didn't ever really try very hard to be an actress. Like, I didn't try to get an agent. I didn't try to... I just, like, worked at a restaurant, of course, and went to, like, little auditions that nobody cared about. And then uh, things happened in my life where I was like, you know, I have to do more with my life, and I'm going to go back to school. I'm going to go back to college. And I went back to college, and I wanted to be a therapist. But I also, in, in college, in my hippie college, as I call it, Antioch, Los Angeles, I'm also shouting out to that school because I loved it. Um, I I studied a lot of art and psychology. Like, those were my main focuses. But I knew, like, I'm going to go to grad school to be a therapist. So you kind of knew you were going to do it all along. Yeah, I also, as much as I come from a family of artists, I also come from a family of therapists. So Mm -hmm. both of those were sort of in my blood. So I was like, this is something I can do. It'll make you a better artist. Yeah, and I think also people my whole life have come up to me, like, since I was little and just, like, shared their problems with me. So I think I sort of thought, well, if this is how... If this is how people are with me, I might as well Let's make a living do it. Yeah. <laughs> doing it. <laughs> yeah. And also, I, I, I help them out at Town and & Gown. And nice. I noticed there's a few people that are in college here, and they're... They become lawyers. Uh-huh. And that's they, so useful, too. Think about it. You're putting yeah, on a yeah. show, and the courtroom is your stage. Oh, I, no, I did not think about <laughs> you that. You know? No, yeah, th- exactly. But they're, um, I think of them like, damn, such a great actor. You know, why, why are you doing why that? However, I get it. Yeah. You, you do need to be assured of making a living. That's health insurance. Right. <laughs> why I haven't quit my job. Right. You know, and I mean, honestly, like, I, I'm torn, too, because I think, like, you know, people say do the thing you love and mm-hmm. and you won't work a day in your life or yeah. whatever. Or, but I, I'm torn because on the one hand it's like, of course, like my my ultimate job in a way I would love to you know make movies full time right, or have sure. a, a very creative 
situation. But I also think I don't like I don't like really I don't like going to auditions that much and being with other yeah, yeah you know re- yeah. I don't know it's hard it's mm-hmm. sort of like a balancing act of like what's gonna feed my soul and allow me to and do much. all the things I want to do. Sure, sure. You know when you're repressing your own soul. Yeah, you're hurting. Jealousy and poison just spits out mm-hmm. of your mouth. Exactly. And uh, and you don't even it's you don't even comprehend the damage that you're doing. Mm-mm. Because to put yourself out there to be an artist is, yeah, is so incredibly vulnerable. Right. Right. You're so, <laughs> just just to tell somebody that I'm writing a book. Yeah. Yeah. This just, this just sounds crazy. What mm-hmm. a stupid idea. Mm-hmm. I mean, do you understand the the odds yeah. you're facing? Right. Uh, right. As far as success goes, at least certainly like in monetary terms. But this guy felt he was in a safe enough environment or whatever to share what he yeah. was doing. And yeah, and then little and Larry comes it. along yeah. and <laughs> tells him what a douche he yeah. is. Uh, I hope he went on to uh, have success. <laughs> oh, you don't know if that book ever got finished? Yeah. Uh-uh. No, because I didn't see I didn't see much more of it after that. I, I, another story about me is a, a, a girl I dated for a while. She's like, I want to play this band for you, and it's actually it's happened with other people in other bands. Funny. I li- I liked it. I was like impressed. I hadn't performed my own music, and I wasn't doing it at the time. And I th- and what she played, I thought was brilliant, and I was jealous. So I had this weird, angry struggle where I couldn't like it, you know. Yeah. I couldn't. She was just, she knew my personality. She was just sharing something she knew I would like, you know. And I was like, yeah, yeah. I still do that sometimes. And it's one of the most confusing feelings Mm -hmm. to experience where you uh, are genuinely touched by something. Mm -hmm. And, uh... The mere act of being touched by it just feeds into this sick, yeah. jealous anger. Right, right, and you right. lash out. And then you lash out at the person who shared it they with you it, as yeah. if they did so something. Yeah, exactly. Fucking oh, wrong. Horrible, horrible. So oh, dumb. Terrible. Terrible. <laughs> so you, you must have moved from Madison because your parents got jobs at UGA. Yeah, my dad got a job at UGA. I moved here uh, in, in uh, 2001. Okay. Uh, on okay. the on the tail end of that year. Okay. Uh, after 9/11. All right. And um, and moved to Athens. I was 11 years old. 11 years. <clears throat> okay. And you had done some singing early on. Yeah, I was in a touring boy choir. That was my first time on stage. I was in the in Madison. Okay. I was in the Madison boy choir. What was that like? Um, well, it was it was amazing. I mean, you know, it was my first introduction to. Uh, discipline uh-huh. to working with a group. I, I didn't really play sports. I love sports, but mm-hmm. I didn't really play sports as a kid, so I, didn't, I never really got that group dynamic. Also, I'm an only child, so oh, okay. I never really understood that working in a team sort of thing, but in a boy choir, you know, you're singing with 60 other boys and having to harmonize and stuff like that, so I guess I could say it was my first experience with that. And it's then, te- teamwork. Right, exactly. Yeah, yeah. yeah, it makes the dream work. So, we... Um, uh, I had the opportunity to tour uh, Europe um, oh my God. a few different times, Ireland and Poland, and um, that's you know that was my first time on stage. I remember uh, 
singing a solo and a song, and these two, and it, we would sing in churches, you know. Uh-huh. And these two Irish women came up to me after the show, and with their with their lilt said, uh, you know, I just loved to watch you on stage. Uh-huh. And uh, you know, that was I think the first. I, I remember it so clearly. I think it was maybe the first time that I really. Yeah. People liked. The, yeah, yeah. People liked me. Uh, we <laughs> liked to watch me. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, that you know that really was the first hit. Okay. Uh, and I was hooked after that. So you, you did you train? Did you? I mean, did you do it after you came to Athens, or was there a lull, or did you singing? Yeah. No. It was a total lull. So, you know, I hit puberty okay. before I moved. My voice started to change. Okay. Left the choir. They didn't. They had no use for me anymore because okay. I didn't have a, a voice of a eunuch. Right. And so... <laughs> <laughs> Damn it. Damn. And, uh, yeah. So, no, I came here and then, um, then, then some one of those weird artistic uh, insecurity twists happened where I decided singing was just not cool. Oh, okay. Uh, and I didn't want to be like that, and I didn't want to be seen like that, and I hated that kind of music. I decided in my head, and so you know, pretty much as quickly as I could, I started smoking and doing everything uh, I could to destroy my voice. Bad boy behavior. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, yeah, singing was so not cool. Funny. Yeah. So it wasn't until um, two years ago, really, okay, that I. Uh, got serious. I went on. I, tro- I I did this ridiculous thing where there's a theater in Virginia I wanted to work at, and I drove eight and a half hours for an open call audition, uh-huh. uh, as if that would ever yield anything. But I did it, uh-huh. and it was one of these auditions where I, I did the monologues, and the monologues went very well, and then they asked me to sing something, you know, unannounced, uh-huh. and I sang a Townsend Zant song, and. I was so insecure. Right, right. I called my then girlfriend, now fiance, on the way home, and I said, "That's it. I can't do this anymore. Uh-huh. I've got to. I've got to work on my singing." Uh-huh. <laughs> and so, uh, what is that now? Sixteen years of uh, of hating the sound of my own sung voice. I finally broke uh-huh. and started um, putting in the requisite work to to not. Um, I was 16 and I had a copy of Ramparts in the car with me, you know, reading about Che and Relégé de Blay and the like, you know, and it's just like, uh, you know, and we're checking. I'm, I'm finding out also at the same time how chenille bedspreads were made in Dalton, Georgia oh, okay, in, okay. <laughs> in 1967. Okay. <laughs> the year Sergeant Pepper came out. Okay. So... Yikes. <laughs> interesting. Very yeah, it's pretty strange. Anyway, so, um, also suburban. It was like I was, I was part of the first suburban generation of the South. Okay. Really. Because when Dad moved here to take factoring gig, he, um, um, moved us out to a, uh, development you know, out near Tucker, which okay. for the longest time, uh, was like the, uh, the suburb that couldn't. <laughs> yeah, so, you know, there's Is a cemetery. outside Atlanta? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, out past Decatur toward Lawrenceville. I was, uh, I was in uh, kindergarten through seventh grade. I was in um, Sandy Springs. Okay, yeah. Always tonier. Huh? <laughs> Always tonier than Tucker. What's, what do you mean? Oh, well, well t- I, I, Tucker was... was uh, 
I mean, you must be right because I Tucker was country. Yeah, I never heard of Tucker. Saying Tucker right. is really country. <laughs> I mean, it's it's, it's uh, like I think they incorporated recently. I mean, uh-huh. they're they're like everything else that's uh, inside the perimeter is developing, and there's you know, an effort to gentrify. It's uh-huh. you know, oh, I see. The, the dynamic is you know sort of horribly homogenized these days. But anyway, you know, it's just like it was. It was a pretty typical 60s suburban upbringing for the most part. So what year did you, I mean, let's see, what age were you when you ended up in, uh, you said the year, in in, in, in In Atlanta, Atlanta, in the Atlanta metro? Yeah. Um, 62, that would have made me 11. Okay. I turned 11 in 62. So about right here. So... That it was culture shock too because it was, it was kind of country out there yeah. at the time. It was, right. it was like mixed. Yeah, yeah. And there were still basically farm kids that went to my elementary school. And right, that was also right. when DeKalb County schools only had basically two levels. You went through seventh and then you went to high school. So there were five oh, oh, high school. Oh, okay. There was no middle school at the okay. time. All right. That was an innovation that came you know, in, in the early 70s. As far as right. I know, I was gone. About the time I went to my family, mom moved us to South Carolina. Mm-hmm. Stayed, we stayed with grandma for a while, and then uh, that's when I. In Sandy Springs, I would have gone straight to high school after the seventh grade. Right. But they were in South Carolina. I ended up one year in middle school. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Middle school is like a whole tier of reality that. Yeah. I've only heard about where my son went to middle school before high school, but you know, it was like, and I knew plenty of people who went, but it was like, I was just on the cusp there. As the way thing. I think of middle school is that's where, um, that's where kids really start to get bad. <laughs> you know, that's where, the bad, that's where the bad behavior really... It's when they begin to assume actual individuality. Uh-oh. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> right, exactly. Oh, no. Potential for good and the potential for bad are both very high. Yeah, power so great it can only be used for good or evil. <laughs> so I first learned about you through... I was. I had the opportunity to edit some converted Super 8 footage that Betty Alice Fowler. Ah. And one of the one of the reels was entitled uh, "Fans at Memorial Hall." I know. So I. And then there was a there was some footage of the band, but you guys were small, and I think maybe there were some close-ups of band members that I was like, I don't, I'm not mm-hmm. sure. Mm-hmm. And it was you know totally silent. So I think I picked you out. You had a big white tar, and you were like, oh, is that you? Yeah, I think I still had. Yeah, I still had my Les Paul back then yeah. before somebody stole it as six eight eight. That was no. That was no fun. But I still had it then. I loved that guitar. <laughs> it was beautiful. And, yeah, and I also saw a, a recent video of your you playing with your son, and someone commented that it looked like you. And I, I realized how I. Oh, was that the Boston gig, the Lilypad gig? Might have been. Yeah, we're doing a the... tune called Nam. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. That, that's, that was a, that was. Uh, we sounded good on that tour. You know, I was kind of my usual. You know. Stiff, uh, you know, 
I like you very much, and I will talk to you because I'm supposed to talk to you. But I don't really, know ah. what, I don't really know what to say. And now a song. And now a song. No, I don't. I don't. You know, that's it's a that's painful. A, that's a unique. Uh, that's a unique skill to be the social presence on stage as well. I mean, it's a whole other. Yeah, but I end up babbling a lot. Right. Right. And the, then I'm relatively cogent right yeah. now. Yeah. Was either of them um, no, a creative? Or? No, I didn't come from uh, creative parents. Uh, my dad, uh, who's a veteran, uh, sold restaurant equipment okay. throughout the Midwest. So when I had a chance and an offer from my dad to, to take over the company, uh, I had to say no. Ah. And ultimately, I wrote a novel, I ran off to the East Coast, and I really started my life as a, you know, independent uh, uh, person, very connected with writing, to, to, to Boston. I moved to Boston, ran off with a woman twice my age, you know. Hey. What are you doing what? <laughs> at 20, 24, you know? But that led to some remarkably good six years in Boston mm -hmm. and, and a very creative creative time for me there yeah. did you did you go to school there or did you just start writing? no I uh, however it happened I got a job I, I moved to, to Cambridge a after after things fell apart with the, the initial person I moved uh -huh. with right, right. which was a poet which is the first writer I ever met mm -hmm. and so <laughs> this is on the woods mm -hmm. Wonderful times to get to know someone who had been a serious, who it was a serious writer. So for me, that was a great, a great start. Probably my first mentor in mm -hmm, a sense. Mm -hmm. But of course, relationships come apart. Yeah, yeah you know, eventually, yeah. seemingly. But um, let's just say I quickly moved to Cambridge one night. Uh -huh. <laughs> uh, and okay. took a room. Like a mansion of a boarding house in in Cambridge, where like rooms were rented. So I had a room with like twenty foot ceiling with giant window. I mean, I, I got this wow. this like small little mansion of a room. But but uh, I got lucky. I got, I got a job at Radcliffe. Okay, is that a, was in, that a publishing in, in the school? Okay, in their library. Okay, so that really is where I've stayed. In fact, in Kansas City. Um, I studied psychology and worked at a couple psychiatric clinics as an attendant. Once I had my transformation, it was books. The only thing that really mattered were books. And so I started working at the Beat Alton Bookstore. I've, I've worked at several Barnes & Noble you know, during the course of my, of my years. But, but I've also worked at the libraries, several libraries. And so that was my first one. I got a job at Radcliffe working under the cataloger. And uh, remember checking out books to Carolyn Kennedy, you know, these, uh, and then okay, okay. Radcliffe and Harvard merged, and they moved me to Harvard. Oh, so there yeah. I was working at the Harvard undergraduate library, wow. uh, Lamont Library, um, sort of processing the new books. And I'm the person who took the catalog card to the catalog card files. Filed the catalog cards. 
that's how far back I got. And dug up the book. Wait, you... I filed the cards in the catalog. This is, you know, way pre internet So is this when someone was checking out? Yes. They bring the card? Well, they looked up, they looked up, they looked up the card. Oh, okay. The oh, 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 and then they went and found the book. So these were the giant bank of files. I remember, yeah, that, yeah. That, Now it's a small... Everyone's got it on their desktop. But um, I, w- I was very fortunate in the sense of not only just being at Harvard right, and, right. and having that experience, uh, but upstairs for me just happened to be the Woodbury Poetry Room. From where you were living? Where I was working at, at working, Harvard. Okay. So upstairs from Lamont Library is still the Woodbury Poetry Room. So describe, what is that? So describe the, that. the Woodbury Poetry Room, when I was there, um, was curated by a... Uh, a, a, a wonderful Greek man and writer named uh, Stavis Javiaris. And I can say he was truly my first mentor. Um, but the, the poetry room had all the poets of the day would come and go and give readings and impromptu readings. And I was downstairs. You know, I'd get a call, so it's stressing, come on up, you know, somebody's here. Uh-huh. Theodore Enselin or, you know, Denise Levertov or Fanny Howe. You know, all these uh, William Corbett in those, day, those days. So I was very fortunate to, and then have him also, basically, I would bring him like five pages and and he would hand it back to me with like maybe a paragraph was not read. He, he just, just he, he, he showed me some things about editing. He, okay. he showed me some things about editing. And I'll be forever grateful to him about that. Um, and that's one thing I love to talk about writers. Okay. Th- those kinds of things. Yeah, so it sounds like you get to that. I mean, that's actually pretty pretty early on. You did know what you wanted to do, and you made one, two decisions that actually were, seemed like they were the right decisions for what you're telling me now, is because they sort of pointed you in. Well, a, it's led to an adventurous life. Uh, a slow build, like a, I guess a, ser- a serious, sort of rueful, purposeful sort of, uh, like it, it's definitely a, a Bob Dylan or Tom Petty sort of feeling to me. You know? Yeah, for sure. With with a lot of vocal subtleties, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah. Well, those, I mean, those are definitely the, I mean, those those two names were probably my first exposure to this style of music, you know. Growing up, I didn't really listen to, you know, Americana or or whatever you want to call it. I mean, so, you know, I mean, I I knew Dylan and I knew Tom Petty, Mm -hmm. and it wasn't until later in life that I really started taking in all the other stuff Mm -hmm. um, Mm -hmm. and trying to do my research. Yeah, yeah. But, yeah. Bob Dylan was definitely the gateway for me and Anton Petty. So, um, and, and it's funny because I do, you know, vocally, I mean, I have range. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I've sang in, yeah. I've sang in bands where, like, I was just, you know, a singer and, like, was very operatic. It was, mm-hmm. you know, um, I, you know, I did some screaming and, yeah, you know, yeah. things like that. So I can be loud. It's just, I think, the stuff that drives me to do what I'm doing now. Right. All the guys that I listen to and still continue to listen to, for the most part, you know, they they 
they just you know kind of sing in a very conversational way and, and that's sort of just like there um, but you know again I mean you know when you, when you look at somebody like Michael I mean he's just he can do it all so he's able to kind of like fit it all in you know I mean and you know uh, I'm still working on that but you know that that, that tour definitely um I mean, I, I had no choice but to sort of look at myself and, you know, evaluate where I was and the stuff that I was writing, and, um, you know, I, it made me better, you know, yeah. spending a, a week on the road with him made me better, and I, I think that's, that. you know, definitely a good, you know, a good a byproduct of, you know, going on tour with other people. So, early on, your influences were, you told me, in the... The Lost interview that you uh, <laughs> early on, your mom used to listen to the Beatles, and uh, yeah, and uh, she listened. To her and her friends listened to Donna. And, yeah, for sure. I mean, um, you know, when I was the Franklin Town. Yeah, for sure. Um, a lot of soul music. I mean, um, and that's really what I what I grew up on. Um, um, my mom was very. She was a integral figure in terms of music for me. She's, I, I get my musicality from her, definitely. Uh, I grew up listening to her sing, sing along to the radio, and um, she would play, you know, we would play these games where she would, ch you know, challenge us to, um, you know, guess who was singing on the radio and what songs were playing, and... Uh, did you and your brothers and sisters, or did you have your yeah, siblings? Yeah, I have uh, three brothers, actually. Oh. Um, yeah, we didn't really talk about that in the previous interview, but, uh, I mean, and we were all, you know, we were all into it as kids, and, you know, um, but that's definitely, I think, something we did to pass the time and, like, bond and whatnot. Um, my, not my youngest brother, but, uh, the second to the youngest, he, he took to music and played, um, you know, dabbled and uh, got to a place where he was playing live here for a while, but never really, you know, saw himself doing it, you know, seriously. And I guess it kind of fizzled out for him. Yeah. Um, but no, nobody else really got into music. I mean, uh, we all had our thing, and uh, I knew, I just knew from a very young age there really wasn't anything else. I mean, you really couldn't put anything in front of me that wasn't creative or artistic that, you know, that I wasn't into. I pretty much dabbled in, you know, photography and and drawing and you know, you know, even like some costume design. I just like oh, weird yeah. weird things. Oh, like yeah. if I was like creative, mm -hmm. being creative and using my hands, I was into it. You know, really music at the end of the day for me, which mm -hmm. there was just nothing better. So um, my dad actually was uh, he wrote he was a writer. He wrote poems and short really? stories and. Really? Um, so I kind of take after him in that. I mean, that was really sort of like pencil and paper. Mm -hmm. Pen and paper was really sort of like my main thing. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, even when, before I could play guitar, it was just this thing that I did was write, write stories and uh, poems and stories. Well, I like, uh, just, yeah, because uh, I also also have uh, wonder about the lives of, because I, well, my dad was in the Navy, but you, you just told me that your dad was a, uh, uh, as a sergeant in the military yeah. for over 20 years. Mm -hmm. So these guys have military careers, but they also have, like, human lives in their, you know, in their free time. Sure. So he was he was writing all yeah. throughout the yeah, I guess, military yeah. careers. Oh, yeah, it's funny because um, he kept, like, everything he wrote. 
which is insane. That's amazing. Yeah. And I saw it one day, and it was like enough to fill a room. Like really? seriously, yeah. It, it, I mean, like, and when I say fill a room, I mean like on the floor, boxes and boxes and stacks, just like room full. Amazing. He's writing from, from, from. So it's incredible that he was able to sort of archive all of that and even sort of referenced it at one point in time we were having a conversation and you know they told me about some things that he wrote and then like you know a week later I get it in the mail and it's like dated you know from you know like 87 or 88 the original and it's like yeah the original like the thing he went back and found it so wow um, I've never been in that organized and sort of I'm impressed I'm sort of, yeah that's yeah. impressive Hey, um, in Spanish. Talking over Starbucks, talking. <laughs> okay, I'm gonna ask a question just to. Okay, did you turn it back on again? Oh, it's on, it's on, baby. Yeah, we. Let's see, I don't know where to begin, but I'll start with. Why don't each of you give me a tidbit of your origins, like, starting with you, Tommy? My origins? Origins, like birth, and then birth. College, how'd you get into music? Just blammo. Okay, well, birth, <laughs> an accident of birth, I was born in Chicago. Chicago. But moved to Atlanta when I was th- about three months old, where both of my, and both of my brothers were born there. Uh-huh. So I claim Atlanta as my home. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. But at some point, we moved, my dad would, he worked for the Wall Street Journal, and he was transferred every three years. So I went all around, back up to Chicago, over to New Jersey when I was a teenager, early teenager, and then back down to Atlanta. And I started playing guitar when I was about 10 or 11, maybe, years old, something like that. And that would have been when I was in, in my New Jersey period. And, um, and then we moved down to Atlanta, and I started been when I was in high school, junior in high school. And I started playing in coffee houses at that time. And uh, I was actually in a band in New Jersey, too, playing bass. And uh, it's called The Evolution of Sound. The band was? The band was. Ah, yeah. That's pretty Evolution good. Yeah, that's band. Good, yeah. <laughs> well, I was the youngest one. They called me Tootie because mm-hmm. I played trumpet and uh, and bass. And they, I said, I can sing. I can and sing. They and they said, really? And so I'm 14 years old. And I said, I can <laughs> sing. And they said, really? Okay, sing Light My Fire, right? 14-year-old singing Light My Fire. How convincing is that? It did not work. <laughs> and uh, But anyway, and then... So then I moved down to Atlanta, uh, back to Atlanta, and then I went to college at Valdosta State College as a music, as a music major, got in a band there, went to New York, instead of going to my sophomore year in college, uh-huh. after spending a summer in Macon with a band, and then went to Boston, and then back down to Athens when I realized that I was a good waiter and a good guitar player. Oh. And... Uh, <laughs> wait, so wait, where did, what city did you end up in? For the, I was for in waiting? Cambridge, Massachusetts okay. at that point. So you could, you could make good money as a waiter and... And, uh, and, and okay money as a, as a musician, because yeah. I was in a good band, and uh-huh. we played cool gigs, um, colleges and ski resorts, and played all around New England oh, and God. Cape May and stuff, or Cape Cod, and it's not Cape uh-huh. May, they made it to New Jersey. But that was cool, and then came back down to Athens, um... Played folk music for a while, and I got in a band called Turtle Bay, and then Men in Trees, and uh, back in the 80s, in the early, late 70s and early 80s, uh, 
kind of music scene here. I was the manager of the El Dorado. Worked at the El Dorado as a waitress, which is a vegetarian. What year was that when the, at the El Dorado? Because I don't. That was '76 when I started working there. Wow. And uh, with the B-52s practicing in the back room, <laughs> and uh, so I got to hear them learn how to play their instruments. Oh. And, uh, <laughs> so that was interesting. <laughs> and um, and they worked with me at the restaurant too. And then played miniatures, and then started, got out of that, and started playing old time music and, and bluegrass in the '90s. And String Theory was my band then, and then kept doing that while I'm working at the university. Ah. Oh look, oh, he's got whiskey. <laughs> he's got whiskey. But anyway, somewhere in there, I got a PhD, a master's degree, and then a PhD. And, uh, and you turned around and ended up with a PhD. Yeah. Right. <laughs> okay. Well, so that's kind of, kind of I have to come back to some of these details. Yeah, I tried to do too much in one kind, one kind question. Of cliche yeah. career evolution. <laughs> yeah, that's what everybody does. Right. I know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Again. PhD yeah. in geology, right? G. But then I met geography. With you and geography. Okay, and right. geography. A PhD in geography. So string theory is still active. Um, it's an old-time band, right? That's in, uh, um, with Dale, with, with Dale, Dale Wessler, and Dick and Daniels, and Anton Speeders. A lot of the, and the Susan Staley. Yeah, yeah. Folks, in, some three of them are in the Bohemians. And, yeah, I like the Bohemians. Yeah, I do too. And and we're sharing the bill with them on Friday night. Really? Yes, we are. Where's, where's at that? Hendershots. Hendershots, go out. For the I Human Rights Festival well, benefit. I'll hold on to it. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I'd be rude if I didn't offer you. Yeah. Would be. I mean, he's nothing. He's yeah. not I didn't want it, people but think I, I would have I would have noticed if you didn't offer me. Yeah, well, people think I'm nice, but I'm not nice. I'm just polite. Yeah. yeah and yeah, if yeah. you don't drink that, we'll just share it later. That's right, yeah. yeah. That's, I mean, it's, 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 it's fine. Right. It will not be wasted. Okay, good. Um, but we're going to give old Tennessee credit for whiskey. It's just kind of mad at Kentucky. That's right. So, so yeah. I don't know. And so that's good, right? Mm-hmm. Is that good enough? Beautiful. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. Yeah, and, and William, you can have a turn. And uh, just uh, for our listeners, William just poured us each a, what I would consider a large shot glass full of Jack Daniels, which I may or may not. No, that's modest. No, that's not Which I may or may not drink. And, I, and I, there's a little bit of water in it to take the edge off. Oh, a little water. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We're, we're not sophisticated, but we've read about sophisticated no. people. So. No, you're sophisticated. You're, and we're civilized, too. We don't yeah. drink too much. Shabby sophisticated. Shabby sophisticated. Nice. A, a worn, weathered uh, sophisticated. Patches on our elbows. Yeah. But we yeah. don't, we don't, we're, but only on <laughs> short sleeve shirts. We just have the patch on. Okay, me. I was born in New Jersey, probably about the time that Tommy was in New Jersey. Mm-hmm. Um, I got a guitar when I was nine. My sister, I'd become infatuated with the Beatles after seeing Help and Yellow Submarine. But there's a particular scene in Help where John Lennon's playing You've Gotta Hide Your Love Away. Mm-hmm. And it just was the coolest thing. It was the Beatles, and they were <laughs> all together in that crazy big house, and there was a girl listening, and the song was fantastic. And I was like, I want to do that. Yeah. And uh, my sister had 
fallen prey to the great folk music scare of the early 60s and had a, a guitar, actually that harmony that's sitting over there in the corner over there. Uh-huh. And um, she gave it to me and I learned how to make noise on it and then forgot about it. But then we moved south the summer of 72. I found myself in downtown Savannah with no friends and lots of time. And that's when I really got into playing guitar. So I started, my parents said they would give me lessons if it was classical guitar. Mm-hmm. And I would bug the classical guy. They were all rock guys. To teach you a, a rock song. Yeah, so I learned <laughs> how to play I'm 18 by Alice Cooper mm-hmm. and Blackbird and mm-hmm. Day Tripper. And so oh, that, yeah, that was yeah. kind of the thing. And I did that on and off for a while. And then in high school, started. I met Bob um, in sixth grade when I moved schools. Um, Bob and I were the only kid, kids like, like ourselves in uh. cathedral. Day school, parochial Catholic education school for Perfect. a little Episcopalian boy like me. You gotta have your guy. And uh, we fed each other's fire, so we would buy records. What do you? Would you buy? Well, you know, you want to talk about your records? And he got into guitar because I was into guitar. So we, what'd you learn? Oh, show me that. And mm. you know, we would fed each other's fire for years. So, and we still stay in contact. Oh, that's okay. What does this mean? And I like people. Like I'm hopefully I do that intentionally. <laughs> There's a passage in, in scripture when when the apostle Paul wrote to the Church of Corinth, mm-hmm. First Corinthians chapter nine. He says, "I am all things to all people." Mm-hmm. So I don't ever want there to be a barrier between me and somebody. Mm-hmm. And it's trying to prove like I don't care what. Mm-hmm. What do you dress like? What do you talk like? What, I, I want people to love Jesus. I love Jesus. Right. So how do I show that I, and then like that goes back to, I was a missionary overseas for several mm-hmm. years. And when I was in those places, I would dress like they did, do their uh-huh. customs, learn certain phrases in their uh-huh. language, because that's what being a missionary is. Right. It doesn't matter. Like It's a two-way. Right. So like the, the F-bomb, I've dropped that once in this uh-huh. podcast, because I'm talking to you and I know that you don't mind it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, it might not be the most... Um, not, palatable language. Right. Not churchy language. It's not churchy language. <laughs> it's not. I don't use that. I don't use that word at church mm-hmm. or around my mother. Mm-hmm. Sorry, mom. Love, I love you. <laughs> she's already turned it off. I've already said the yeah, F word. She's, she's already. Cool. She's 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 checked out. Um, if anyone's still listening and you're offended by that word, I'm sorry. Yeah, so I apologize. Sorry. But um, yeah, that's how I talk to. I'm just brash and grew mm-hmm. up in, in dingy clubs, mm-hmm. you know, rooms mm-hmm. with full smoke. My first band, I was 15 years old with my friends, Jerry McCoy and Matthew Cooper. We started a Blink-22 mm-hmm. cover band called Man Overboard, mm-hmm. and it was... We never did anything. Mm-hmm. It was just like, we played at yeah, church yeah. basements and in, in garages. Mm-hmm. But it was like, <laughs> that's just how I learned to talk, because mm-hmm. those are people I was around. Yeah. And um, I, I think it's... I do think it's strange. Theology of words has always been fascinating to me, because I'm like... America picked seven words and they're like these words retain power and I'm like why like exactly yeah they for some reason they have they shouldn't yeah they really shouldn't and it's interesting to me that Christians are the one giving it power I'm like you like and and another one thing that fascinates me is this uh, it's uh, terminology is these words are they're called profanity but that I think the definition of profane is common right so yeah so it's common, so that sounds kind of boring, but it also sounds like maybe maybe there's an elevated language that gives the impression that there's some sort of higher style of language that's not profane, and it sounds like it's more than just leaving out words that you it, it is and I to so. be to be perfectly honest, I think like I don't think I should use the f word even mm-hmm. though it still slips from time to time, mm-hmm. but it's because it, it would be I think there is a there is a level you reach where, like, my language is offensive to no one. Mm-hmm. My dad has proved this. He said, yeah, I understand what you're saying, but 
why use it if it's going to offend somebody? Then if you don't use it, you don't have to worry about it. Because no one that, that doesn't mind the word isn't going to mind if you're not using it. Right. And I think that makes a good point. Mm-hmm. But then I think there are also, there are moments, um, I can't remember which, I think it's the Church of Galatia. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, when, when Paul, so it's in, Gal- in the book of Galatians in the Bible. I might be wrong on that. Mm-hmm. I'd have to cross check it. But when he wrote to the Church of Galatia, at one point he says, your dogma is nothing but... Uh, our translation say rubbish. But if you date it back and you, you study the, the Greek and the Hebrew and the Aramaic, mm-hmm. the word he used was skebula, mm-hmm. which was a used which was a word used in like Shakespeare. Okay. Um, not often. It was used rarely, but it was used to evoke a certain emotion. Mm-hmm. And if we're being intellectually honest, the word mm-hmm. he used was shit. Uh. But um, which is funny because he was like a pastor back mm-hmm. in the day. Like we're too soft for Paul to be our pastor. Yeah. Like Paul cannot be the apostle Paul cannot be the pastor at any <laughs> church in America today. Okay. People would leave. He, he said in Galatians. It's, I want to say it's Galatians chapter like <laughs> two or three, mm-hmm. um, maybe Galatians chapter five. I can't remember exactly, um, but he's talking about circumcision because the Jews were circumcised, and then when Jesus died on the cross, and the Gentiles, um, they were they were like having a fight. Like we're more Christian because we're circumcised. Mm-hmm. And then Paul wrote in his letter and said, "You're more circumcised, or you're you're more Christian because you're more circumcised. Well, then why don't you just cut emasculate yourself? Why don't you just cut?" Oh, so Paul said, "Why don't you just go big boy, cut the whole thing off?" Yeah, like. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> We, he t- like he was hard. That's like pretty, yeah, that's when you, his letters, if you read them, <laughs> that's when uh, that's when uh, Peter writes elsewhere. Sometimes what Paul said is hard to understand. Yeah. Like he's like that guy is a little he's cray. Like, he doesn't mean. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He doesn't mean to go emasculate yourself. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Um, but yeah, so there's there's that sort of stuff. But theology of words is very. I love talking about it, and I'm not very good at um, exhibiting godly language. But no, I'm I'm, wor- I'm trying think, to get there. I think yeah, no one's perfect, and you 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 don't make a habit of the sure. language, and then no one takes you seriously when you do use it. I sure. Think, and also, I think there's a significance to uh, or, or an art to being effective or bold. And not resorting to any of the easy words yes. that are that are effective, you know. And that's why. Well, the, it's, I think that's the thing of like words like shit lose their meaning mm-hmm. if you're like okay, Paul. I believe the apostle Paul used it. How many times did he use it? Once. It, mm-hmm. it, he used, it, when you used when it, it meant it, yeah, something. Yeah, yeah. So now, like these words have lost their meaning because there are people like me that just use them all the time and curse like a sailor. Yeah. And then I'm realizing now as I'm getting older, like. Oh, like these words are okay, but there's a specific time and place to use them, and mm-hmm. they shouldn't be fueled by anger when you're using them. Mm-hmm. They should be. You should be in a very mm-hmm. peaceful place mm-hmm. to use them and make a point mm-hmm. or an art. I think mm-hmm. that this language is far more acceptable in a song or in, or in a movie uh-huh. or in or maybe a novel or something mm-hmm. rather than just in everyday speak. That's like that's mm-hmm. uh, that's also where it's, I think my artistic brain mm-hmm. sometimes I'm just uh, you know as a, you're an artist. Yeah, it's yeah. hard. Our brains just work different than yeah. everybody else's. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. If you're creating something, then it it, it is a, it becomes a different thing. It's it's a you're you're a persona when you're. Yeah, and then but sometimes I'm stuck in that persona just mm-hmm. when I'm like just every day on the street. Mm-hmm. It's like yeah, I'm Daniel, yeah. Or whatever. Yeah, yeah, you don't you stay in character. <laughs> yeah, I don't mean to. But mm-hmm. It's just like well, it's because I'm always writing songs and writing like yeah, into so my, and then I'm like right, I'm actually yeah. literally writing. It's all in my head, and then if I see somebody and I'm like oh, oh like <laughs> who am I? What's going on right now? <laughs> Here's a question for for both of us: Is what how do you, because uh, I've found, my, since I work at a museum, and you're a museum art art world guy, you know, that a lot of your jobs are still installing artwork, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah I've so had some recently, uh-huh. I, uh, clicks in my head, I used to, I used to separate it, I used to think, oh, this is, these are objects and this is my task, but lately I've been like, oh, I'm so tired of 
and start hanging somebody else's painting. And I want to make a painting, you know. So you look a little bit. I look at the paintings more now than I used to. I'm like, oh, that's that's kind of nice. What if I? No, you're not doing anything. You just measure it, put your little nail in the wall. <laughs> And so I have a little bit of a struggle, you know. So what is it like well, we used to, having been, been in the, having to work around art and then also try to make art? Uh, in the prep department, we mm-hmm. used to say, I think even during your time, mm-hmm. uh, the Georgia Museum of Art prep department, making mm-hmm. other artists' dreams come true. Oh, I like that. <laughs> that is adorable. <laughs> yeah. You know, I used to love going into the racks when things were slow mm-hmm. and uh Looking at all that stuff, mm-hmm. the collection's great, uh, and uh, man, there's nothing like looking at a, a show that you've just just completed. Mm-hmm. You know, you've set the lights and everything, and you walk in there, and if it's an artist you like, like mm-hmm. George Bellows, that was mm-hmm. one of the last shows I set up. Yeah, yeah, and it was just freaking great. <laughs> but what I, you know, what I found was after 12 years of doing that. Mm-hmm. I had no desire to go to a museum, right? Anymore, and and now it's when I when I look at art, it's it's usually uh, my wife wants to go into some shop, mm-hmm. and uh, and then I'm looking at the art in mm-hmm. there, and I, I realize you know, yeah, yeah, my mind's ready yeah. to do. It's Maybe not I it's do, not like, so saturated yeah. anymore, but it's not my habit anymore to go to. Museums or, never, or yeah, seek out. Yeah, you never like, hey, let's go to a museum. <laughs> yeah, like, I, don't I know. Yeah, and it—that's it, it, probably hypocritical because mm-hmm. we're talking really about the same thing. You mm-hmm. know, musicians shutting up during other mm-hmm. musicians' performances, mm-hmm. and I'm—I'm uh, I'm mindful of that. I'm just not—I don't know. Twelve years, and you've mm-hmm. been there longer, right? Mm-hmm. Than oh, twelve yeah. years now. Yeah, yeah, I'm, yeah. Yeah, and it's just, I don't know, it's just part of every, when it's part of your work day. Yeah. And, then you, and then you realize when you're submitting your work for mm-hmm. something, whether it be visual art or music, you're also dealing with people who, whose jobs it is to look at it mm-hmm. and listen to it. Mm-hmm. And you think nothing's fresh to them mm-hmm. anymore, even if it really is fresh. Right, right. They lose the sense that it's, it's fresh. Not, it's, yeah, it's not exactly. And you're combating that. Yeah, yeah. And that's another thing that and just... That's where you have to develop your sales pitch. <laughs> <laughs> and this is really exciting because... You know, but you they've have, heard all that before, they, too. <laughs> oh, I'll tell you what. I, uh, I was uh, uh, interned at a uh, at, uh, Stux Gallery for a while and, and when it was uh, had one, it had moved to a smaller location in, in Soho, and uh, I really didn't have. I just did it because I was in between jobs, and I don't think I knew what an internship was. You know, I didn't get paid, <laughs> and uh, I was behind the desk at some point, which I should have. No one should have had me behind the desk operating any phones or anything. But <clears throat> there I was, and some guy walks in. And he's like, uh, he's Japanese, and he doesn't speak the language very well. But he's got all these photographs in a folder and he's motivated and trying to show me how awesome it is i don't make any calls to i don't make any decisions for that gallery you know <laughs> and i can't understand what he's saying except for he want he's trying to make me aware of this and it's fascinating it, there are pictures of a studio with a lot of people in a really large ceramics it was you know it was pretty cool but i and no one was there with me and i was like well i uh, 
uh, I can't, you know. I can't. No, I don't know. No, you know, and it was. <laughs> I just can't. And you know, yeah, you don't know who you're gonna deal with if you just show up in New York City and you're like, I'm gonna friggin' show everybody my art. I'm sure he went to several other galleries and you know, maybe he found somebody. But you know, when he hit me, it was it was. I mean, what is he expecting, really? You know, yeah, probably what you and I were expecting it, when we were going. When I, Whoa! Look yeah, at that. I know, but if if I had told we'll him, take a hundred of them. Yeah, if I had said, "Hey, that's really young," I couldn't. That wouldn't be. It would have been even if I really did like it. If I did, if I me encouraging him at my would not have been a uh, honest because it would have given him the impression that the gallery was like. <laughs> You know, I was going to take him into the back room, the special room, you know, yeah, you know. So I didn't want to, like, you yeah, know, you, do anything. To him, you were the gatekeeper. But. Yeah, but I was, like, far from the gatekeeper. I was just basically... You were just the guy who oiled the hinge yeah. of the gate. Sorry, guys, I'm being my normal difficult self. No, I like that, because I like the, the in-process films that you, that you make. Yeah, it's a little uh, soaking. So I'm going to help. Hey, that's good. My logo blocks it. There you go. Beautiful, Yeah, because you said you just watched our little dance tutorial thing. Yeah, I watched the dance tutorial. Oh, yeah, a little that fun was amazing. Amazing. So that wasn't serious at all. Yeah, yeah. Did you enjoy that? That was fun. Yeah, that was fun and funny, and I like the little, yeah, little hearts around uh, Matt's. <laughs> See, don't give it away. And, right? <laughs> and that was a last oh, minute. Yeah, sorry. That was a last minute thing that I wanted to, yeah. to add to it because mm. we, we were shooting the next day for me. You know, it'd be really funny. Let's make the screen look like this and have that kind of feel to it. So I just stalked all their Instagrams, found the best one, screenshot oh, them. Oh, yeah. And then okay. day of shooting, we went to, what was it, FedEx or somewhere yeah. to print them off. And I cut them out and taped them to the computer. <laughs> yeah. So and that was that was. Fun. Yeah, and we have a lot of other films coming up that's obviously, because I'm a serious guy for the most part, so the content's going to be very serious and inspirational. Yeah. But stuff like that I like because that's me and Justin's personality. Mm -hmm. Like. I would not be as healthy as I am if I didn't laugh as much and mm -hmm. joke around and, you know, when we do so much of that. So it was cool putting it out there because that's, that's how we are. Because him and I did the voices. Yeah. Okay. So I want this inner monologue. Yeah. Is that my voice? <laughs> <laughs> okay. Because I, I, I really couldn't figure it out. I was like, is the actor doing his own yeah. voice? Was that just one guy doing that? No. And, went, then, and, then, we, Powell, and no. then we took turns doing the other dancers' yeah. uh, voices. And we, stuff. Did, okay. we did all their voices, too. So. <laughs> yeah, just having fun, man. And, of course, <laughs> something to drink came from the great mm -hmm. movie. Yeah. 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 Making funny of it all. all of it. That. So, so that was a great little project because yeah. it, it forced us to do something. Even though we're, we're funny like that yeah. on, our, on our own, but mm -hmm. to do something that's still on brand for what we would assume is on brand yeah. for Don Broca. Right. Right, so it's like right. they would do something like this, yeah. mm -hmm. which and it was yeah they they appreciate the humor and oh yeah the, yeah oh uh, yeah the um which, did you did you use a drone for for that for that dance tutorial there was some point, actually something whipped up some dust oh, from below or right, something so yeah. it's behind the scenes yeah we were supposed to one of our guys brought a drone uh -huh. but none of the he didn't have one of the SD cards for it, and it was a micro SD card, but all of the, our cameras uses a different kind. So we couldn't actually use it day of. Yeah. So we just had to do some really fancy um, motion stuff. And, mm -hmm. we, and we actually have a um, CGI guy on the team who was able to throw some dust in there. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Do some really simple stuff. Because yeah. okay. we've set up our little team to be able to work on some more motivational films okay. we're doing. Yeah. 
Yeah. But yeah, so he. Yeah, it was a nice. I had no idea he was going to do that. That was a cool mm-hmm. little dust was in post. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, there's probably some dust out there. But, Not like that. But most of it, yes. Yeah. Only been chasing that amount of dust. But, <laughs> so yeah, man. So so uh, so but yeah, that, that Don, Don Broco video was a was a long day. Long day for me, and all I did was stand there and. Oh yeah. You know. <laughs> sure. Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. But I, I don't, you know, if I had been like. I don't know. You had like five other dancers working with yeah. you in addition to the band, or what was it? Four, yeah. four other dancers. Oh, was it three of them? Technically three. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Three plus other. the band members. Yes, yeah. so it was three other. Um, yeah. Plus plus the band. And that was the first day we've met them. Yeah. Oh really? Okay. Yeah. Because I guess um, either Benjamin or Katie found them. Um, yeah, from through an agency. From, yeah. Talent. Oh, really? Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Really? Yeah. Oh, wow. So they had learned the, the dance so, the same way Dom broke So they, all of them got the dance sequence the night before. And yep. um, I had I had designed the dance because I, I had seen some prior stuff that uh, Benjamin had done for them, that, the, the cowboy dance. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. then um, I had some videos they had sent my way of what kind of dance they were looking for. Mm-hmm. Originally, they were looking for disco kind of dance. Wow. And I was like, okay... I don't want to do that to them because I don't see that really matching, you know, the music. Nor do I think they can learn those kind of routines without looking too goofy. So let me give them something that has a little bit of an ump, but still simple enough for everybody to learn it. So I made it simple enough for those real dancers to pick it up within, you know, 24 hours. Yeah. yeah. So, um, yeah, it was a cool experience to see people learn it, pick it up, and then like do it like yeah. that. I even know? saw some of the extras trying to yeah. try oh, yeah. moves at some point. And, uh, I'll tell you, it, it is. Um, not really, I'm not really a dancer. Me neither. <laughs> but I, but I appreciate it. Like, like yeah. sometimes in a film, that or a TV show, uh-huh. they they use dance yeah. strategically, yeah. and it it works. You like, yeah. damn, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. It's either for a for a laugh, but it's it's only funny because they do it the dance well. Sure, they're yeah. all prepared and they all you know sure. the time yeah. is right. Yeah. So uh, yeah, I even watching your tutorial that for the second time. Yeah. I was like, hey, uh, so I, what if I learned that? See, there you go. There yeah. you go. So, uh, so if you see on uh, my YouTube I'm, channel, just do it myself. Yeah. Like, <laughs> it'll get, a, it'll get you. You got two weeks to learn. Pressure. <laughs> <laughs> I might just. Uh, that's there hilarious. Yeah, I've made it so everybody can learn it, man. Mm-hmm. Simple. Yeah, real simple. Yeah, and, and Rob, what was the other guy? It was, it's the bass player. I can't remember his name. Tom. Tom. Yeah, Tom. And th- I mean, they were both like, yeah, let's run it again. Let's try it one more time. So yeah. they were both super down to try and be as good as they could. Like, yeah, they were intense. Yeah, they were like, yeah. oh, yeah, man, I think I'm good. Was I good? Come on, yeah. be honest. Tell me. Oh, man. Yeah, they, they were intense about it. So it was fun. Fun, fun, fun. The world is weird and funny, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah. It's strange, exactly. and, and, and if you're paying attention, you know, uh, things will uh, things will present themselves to you that are hilarious. Yeah, yeah. I was. Um, yeah, go ahead. Uh, well, I was going to say, but but you know, there's the other side of me that yeah, raised Catholic and dark and oh. and guilt and and religious and like. I, you know, I try to get away from the guilt, but mm-hmm. still that con- uh, contemplation and like I've studied uh, Zen Buddhism mm-hmm. a lot, yeah. and like uh, just that that learning to be still and seeing how how things can kind of <laughs> I sound more more hippieish, but like they can kind of glow, mm-hmm. you know, and and like be 
uh, you know, uh, themselves so fully that that it's mind blowing, mm-hmm. and 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 uh, so I try to put that in there too. That's but. yeah. That like sounds like a, it's like an awareness that n- not everyone knows that they're capable of. You know, I don't know. Uh, uh, do you want to talk a little bit about being raised Catholic and then maybe uh, sure. what your first impression of or how you ended up getting into Buddhism? Because I think I know from a Facebook back and forth that you've actually been to Plum Village. Oh, no, I haven't been to Plum no. Village. Oh. I've been to his monastery, uh, Thich Nhat Hanh, the yeah. Vietnamese uh, Buddhist monk. I've been to his monastery in Mississippi Mississippi okay. when, when he was there for oh, okay. a retreat one time um, and then I've been back there other times and I've been up to the place I've spent more time but feel slightly less fully connected to than I do Thich Nhat Hanh's thing is, is uh, Zen Mountain Monastery in New York and they're real hardcore they're not really? messing around they're <laughs> like you know if you're there you're a monk basically oh, while you're there and and then when you're not you're uh, well they do have weekend retreats uh-huh. that are like that can be like, mm-hmm. uh, you know, you, you get up at six a.m. instead of getting up at three forty-five, you oh, know, okay. which is not is not my nature at all. I stay up till six a.m. That's just uh-huh. the way I've always uh-huh. been. Wow. But but if you're gonna stay there for like a month or more or uh, whatever, it's like you you live the life of the month. You do uh-huh. everything that they do, and it is they are not messing around. Wow. Um, and uh, yeah, that. I'm more of a lay on the bed and read a book about it, Buddhist. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, like, you know, when I went to Thich Nhat Hanh's place, uh, it was a larger retreat, and it uh-huh. was like, or the first time it was a larger retreat, and it was like, a, you know, very, it was Thich Nhat Hanh who is like the yeah. second most famous Buddhist there mm-hmm. is, you know, and, and so, of course, he brought a lot of people yeah, in. Yeah, pretty who, awesome, yeah. Yeah, yeah who, who may not have been, who maybe lay on the bed and read a book, Buddhist, mm-hmm. or may have seen them on Oprah. Who knows? Uh-huh, uh-huh. You know? Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Okay, yeah, yeah. And, and they were so gentle and non-judgmental of those people, even in the meditation hall, which, uh-huh. you know, my old place, if you like, if you messed around in the meditation hall, somebody was going to come up to you and ask you to leave. Okay. Like, just <laughs> that, and they weren't being me. You're just... This isn't the place That's right now yeah, for yeah. you, <laughs> right, you know. And <laughs> but but Thich Nhat Hans was so so accepting and so gentle that I was like, whoa! People are like, you know, like stretched out on their meditation cushion and like, you know, writing something down that's not about what's happening or uh-huh. whatever. You know, they're not paying attention. And I was like, holy crap! You uh-huh. know, like, uh, but. But it eventually, for me, became like I understood it. Uh, this, this gentle kindness is is the first thing, mm-hmm. you know, and and it really like just being there with him and his monks and seeing. I mean, like again, I sound like more of a hippie than I feel yeah. because I, you know, I I believe in science right. all the way. I'm mm-hmm. a team science, mm-hmm. but but. <laughs> I, you just feel it radiating off of these people. Yeah. This stillness and this peace and this kindness, and and it's just, it just, it's like, like a, being in a giant wave pool. Yeah. You know, and and it was transformative mm-hmm. for sure. I I don't know. It's been a few years now. I don't know how much I've incorporated it and how much I've forgotten. Mm-hmm. Um, 
So I was thinking just uh, yesterday when I Googled um, fear audiobook, because uh-huh. of my preferences, Google, first thing it showed me was the audiobook for Thich Nhat Hanh's book, Fear. Uh-huh. <laughs> and I was like, ooh, I'm a long uh-huh. way from there right uh-huh. now. Um, yeah, no, but- <laughs> you're looking for real fear. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, yeah, I don't know. And, like, Catholicism, mm-hmm. it was weird. I was raised very... Were you raised Catholic? Uh, my father was, but I, I went to church a little bit, and I was sincere about it. You know, I was like... I'd, Were you old enough to make your own choices at that point? or I think when I was old enough to make really make my own choices, I just decided not to go or to go maybe because my girlfriend was there. Yeah. But I got, I was, dis- this was Presbyterian church, so I was just disappointed in like, they weren't talking, they weren't, they were insulting the intelligence of the kids, you know, it's, I wanted, I will. I wanted to believe. I was into it, you know. Yeah. But I also just, uh, I just had common sense, you know. <laughs> so, uh, so I just couldn't do it their way. I mean, maybe somebody yeah. else could explain it to me better, and then I would, you know, I'll be on board. But so I was looking for science communication jobs, mm-hmm. and a lot of employers wanted someone with video editing or even podcasting. I saw a few times. Mm-hmm. And so I talked, uh, I know the communications person uh, at UGA, mm-hmm. and I talked to her and said, Is it, do you think it's worth my time to learn how to do this podcasting thing? Yeah. yeah. And I'd listened to a, a mm-hmm. bunch of podcasts. Um, and so she had me talk to Doug Parsons, who does the America Adapts podcast. He sounds familiar um, to me. He's from, he's from Athens, I think. Okay. Um, and he's been doing really well with his podcast. And so he's sort of mentored me a little bit cool and then i joined this 28 day challenge on facebook Mm -hmm. that basically takes you from knowing nothing about podcasting to publishing your podcast Mm -hmm. in 28 days so and it's kind of like a crash course and it gives you like a deadline because a lot of people are like well i want to do a podcast but i don't know when i'm going to start and eventually i'll do it but Mm -hmm. that was like you have to do this now yeah a discipline uh program to yeah. Keep you focused on it. Yeah, yeah. So it really helped me get that off the ground. And then um, I went to the Podcast Movement Convention in July. Yeah, how was that? Uh, it was great. There were tons of people, and it was constant. It was pretty exhausting uh-huh. <laughs> um, because when you're not in, like, a workshop, you're networking with people and talking oh. to people. And I met wow. a lot of great people, mm-hmm. um, and nobody there was doing a podcast about mushrooms or fungi okay so you, you know you're on to something yeah yeah <laughs> <laughs> that's yeah i just imagined a bunch of uh professional talkers all in one hotel <laughs> yeah because <you know? laughs> i like i was i just sort of examining myself i think there's sometimes you're not that social or but if i have a, a if i set up a, an, an environment where it's a project then i then I dive in. Yeah, yeah. Like I did, I mean, I was listening to podcasts and that's what Spark gave me the notion, you know. So I I probably imitate, well, I'm not, I have to quit saying this. I'm copying, I sort of copied Mark Maron's format. Yeah, they talked a lot about him at the convention, but he wasn't there. Yeah, but he's, he he made it, his podcast made a huge impression on me, 
you know, and I don't think I'll ever be uh, that vulnerable with my feelings, mm-hmm. you know, or whatever. But um, but he, but he gets a, he gets good interviews from people. Yeah, I saw one with Terry Gross. Yes, and yeah, yeah, that yeah. Was really great. That was great. great. Yeah. That was so great. Yeah. She allowed her allowed her to self to be asked questions, and both of them I love equally. I think she was the keynote at the convention. Oh, and she was fantastic. Oh boy! And she she played a bunch of clips from different interviews and stuff. Oh, I thought that was great. Talked about how to handle guests uh-huh. and how to handle, you know, if you're doing a big production like Fresh Air, mm-hmm. you know, the media, the news media is listening to this. And if you're interviewing somebody, it's easy for them to take a little snippet and run with it and blow it out of proportion. Yeah. So she was she was kind of talking about some of the ups and downs of doing interviews with people and, and mm-hmm. interacting with politicians and things like that. Yeah. So that was pretty cool. Oh, yeah. I guess that's a whole new end of it. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think... Paul Stamets is probably the biggest celebrity in mycology... And I don't think I'm anywhere close to, <laughs> to okay. him accepting an invitation to be on the show yet. Ah, but you're, you probably, have you asked yet? I haven't, no. Okay. Well, maybe he'll listen to mine and then... There we respond. go. There yeah. we go. I'll <laughs> catch him through the back door. <laughs> um, I, I really appreciate that you set up the um, local pod, podcasters networking Facebook page. Trying to get more people involved in that and... Get us to actually meet. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I actually didn't get the um, notice that it was called off last oh, time. So I'm sorry. I, it's okay. No, it's not. No, it's not. It's because I, well, same. I look at stuff and, and don't read it. So I I was like, oh, yeah, that's right. It's a reminder about the thing tonight. Oh, right. And uh, <laughs> just like when I texted you or uh, yesterday about tomorrow <laughs> at five, I think it automatically corrected. I was, I meant to write tonight. Oh. But I didn't. I mean, I couldn't figure out how. I was like, "Well, I wrote. That's what I wrote." You know, yeah. very frustrating. <laughs> but I can't. I couldn't remember doing that. So I think I thought I wrote something else. It correct. It changed it to tomorrow, and I just didn't read. I didn't. You know, I'm slow. Uh, I'm not very competent at 5 a.m., so yeah. <laughs> I can't fault anyone else for did making send, mistakes. <laughs> I probably sent it. Yeah. Oh, I, yeah. I did send it at 5 a.m. Didn't I? Yeah. 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 I get. I'm. I'm up early. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, listeners, you probably are getting the experience you'll need if you ever want to go. If you don't take off on your own, you're going to be a skilled. Uh, I'm hoping. You know, I'm hoping. <laughs> what do you use to record on? To, um, uh, to record and edit. I used uh, GarageBand. GarageBand. That. Okay, yeah. that's what I'm using. Yeah. Um, a lot of people have recommended Audacity, but. Mm-hmm. I open up the website and there's just so much stuff to look at. It's kind of intimidating. Mm. So I'm, I'm going to master a garage band and then maybe move on to something more yeah. complex. That's yeah. A garage band works. It sounds good and it's not uh, complicated. Yeah. It's pretty basic visually. So it's yeah. easy to, it's not as hard to get confused. Mm-mm. Not and as easy to get, uh, whatever. <laughs> no, 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 it's easier to understand. Yeah, I mean, you, you still have, if you mess around with it, you still have, you could make it complex because you can put like 20 tracks if you want, you know, yeah. 
so potential is is huge. Okay, do you have a favorite fungi? I do. I I really I ask that question of all my guests mm-hmm. on the show mm-hmm. just to see out of curiosity what their responses are. I really like fungi in the Caprinus genus, and probably the most recognizable is called the Inky Cap. I'm, I'll say this, I guess, because I'm doing this thing now. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, for me, one of my biggest influences with this, and a lot of people are going to like this, is searching for the wrong eyed Jesus. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. The Andrew Douglas film with Jim White as the, uh, he's the, like the narrator, he goes to the South. Um, and and I'll, like for me, there's there's a lot about that movie that you could be very critical of and, and dislike, and I know there's been a lot of critique or whatever of that film, but mm-hmm. As someone who spent a lot of, you know, my formative years in the rural South, mm-hmm. like, that movie really hit home for me. And it was a big driving force as, so, you know, because I always wanted to make a movie, and I looked at Strong Eyed Jesus, and there was just a lot about it. I love the music, and he got 16 Horsepower and Handsome Family and all these, like, favorite, <laughs> you know, all these favorite musicians. And as much as I love that movie, and it was a huge influence, it was still, it's, I consider it more like a docudrama. Okay. Whereas a lot of stuff is staged, and I wanted to just show the real real storytelling like I wanted these people to tell me what they thought and I may not agree with them but I really tried Mm -hmm. to just let them have their say no coaching no judgment no judgment no coaching just Mm -hmm. like boom this is this is what somebody thinks about the guidestones and they're in the community and I may disagree with them but their opinion is valid and there's a lot of people who agree with them right right right. Uh, so I really wanted to try to get that across and I I feel like hopefully I did, and so like when you say things like yeah. that, I appreciate it. But I'm kind of rambling, I guess, right no, now. No, but, that's what. Yeah, that's. Um, I want to know about actually want to know about filmmaking. You it, know, and it, like, this it, is, I just so I wanted to really steer away from any preconceived ideas or any judgments or any kind of staging. Yeah, yeah. And like what you see in that film is just me going into. You know that guy's church and interviewing him in his office where he's a pastor and he's a super nice guy. Mm-hmm. Or mm-hmm. going into you know the guy who did the stone cutting, like going into his home uh-huh. and we're doing yeah, this interview yeah. and he's got the TV flashing. You see the TV flashing uh-huh. off his face and I. And he kept and, looking over there. Yeah, he, oh, I don't remember what was on. Uh, <laughs> it was, <laughs> must have been engrossing. I mean, that was, was uh, the it guy. Was, it was good. Was like a retired guy that had yeah Horace. Yeah, yeah, because that guy is awesome. He's interesting. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, he's their artist. Those stone cutters are kind of off track now but from what you said but those stone cutters like Horace and Steve Mooney or like those guys are artists yeah yeah uh, Dennis mm-hmm. yeah Dennis the the, the, one the, the main stone cutter like it takes us through the process yeah with Dennis the, Ballou yeah. and he's yeah, 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 with the, yeah has the bandana on yeah, yeah. I mean, that guy is an artist, mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. I don't think a lot of people would not view them as such, and that right. would, in my opinion, be a huge mistake. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. And that was one of the things I loved about your your movie. Like, and you, that scene always blows people away because they, you know, they they think something, they think they know what they're going to see, yeah, and then at the end, they're completely awed by what this guy just did in front of them. Yeah, yeah, because yeah. you don't know how it's done. You no. just assume, you know, it's a piece of grand Yeah, somebody. how hard is it? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, right, right, right. Yeah, and then yeah. this guy just shows you up. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> no, I got into it. And I was like, yeah. I want to do, maybe I want to do that. You know, but how did, you know. Paul, you you mentioned uh, in the film, you mentioned uh, granite. Uh, class or something you had in high school? Yes. You, you had, so you, you got your hands on a little granite. That- yes, you could actually take a class mm-hmm. that was a miniature granite shed. It, it was 
everything that they would have inside that they used, but on a smaller scale. Mm-hmm. So we started class with a big hunk of granite coming in, mm-hmm. and then we learned how to set it up on a saw, like the diamond saw blade. Mm-hmm. We learned to cut the pieces that we wanted, mm-hmm. and then we went through all the other steps. We would polish the rock on a, on a little polishing mill, mm-hmm. and that was interesting because my dad earned his living as a polisher. He worked okay. a polishing mill, so that made me feel happy when I was doing that. Okay. okay. Um, and then you, you, from the polishing mill, you would put the rubber on the stone. Oh, for masking the. Yes, and you would, you'd yeah. put your design on there and cut it out, and then you'd put it in the sandblaster and blast it out. So you did everything. Do you remember what you made? I made a Georgia Bulldog. <laughs> Appropriate. I made an Athens Tech yellow jacket, which I sold for 10 bucks on oh. the school bus. Oh. The day I brought it home. Oh. He's a professional artist. Yeah. Yes. Already freaking selling his work. And I think I made a, a Elbert County Blue Devil. Okay. Yeah. Cool. But I learned a lot, and I learned to appreciate. Mm-hmm. I learned to appreciate the work that goes into doing this because I'm just doing it for fun for a grade. Yeah, yeah. But these guys are doing like a thousand times every day, nine to five or whatever. Yeah, yeah. and you know, with skills that are. I mean, I got very rudimentary skills. These dudes, right. like Mike said, are artists. They develop. Yeah, they're yeah. artists, and they. Bust their butts every day, and yeah, they—they're yeah. not yeah. working with pillows. I mean, that's right, stuff yeah, can, yeah. that can fuck you up. Yeah, yes, you know, <laughs> granite, you exactly. know, like it falls on you. Uh, yeah, right. I got—I yeah. picked up on. <laughs> we have a great team that backs us up. Uh, that's right. Uh, it's usually not only you two. You true, know, true. Because yeah. when when Katie is uh, assistant director, our uh, wonderful producer Alexis, mm-hmm. she's behind the scenes putting out fires uh-huh. like bam, 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 bam. Yeah, yeah. And um, our um, director of photography, who you know. Uh, Brian, Brian Redding, yeah. What's it like working with him? How's that? It's, that great. It's amazing. It's yeah. uh, the, the the first time I worked with him. I want to say, well, the first time I worked with him on a music video, I think that was Time Stops. Was it? Was that the first video? I think so. Because uh, I was just it was uh, a good one. That's a good video. Yeah, we, we were. That, yeah, that was a crazy one. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, I uh, I went. To, I think I went to his house to talk things over. And I thought we were just going to go over some details, but uh, he immediately was just focused. Like I need to know exactly how you see every shot. Mm-hmm. I think we, you know, we spent a couple hours at his house just talking through everything and walking through everything. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I was just uh, first time working with him, amazed at how uh, that guy can get into your head uh-huh. and see what you're seeing. Yeah, he yeah. just he, he asks. All the right questions, and uh, you couldn't ask for a more positive DM, yeah, too. Yeah. He's, he's willing to drop the camera and put up a light. He's willing to, uh-huh. you know, crawl through the trenches. Mm-hmm. Um, what, one of the... <laughs> Something I will never forget is uh, shooting the um, the Everybody video, which mm. was the first one with Don Broco. <clears throat> and uh, he had just gone off a plane from Ireland. Uh. So he had been shooting for, I think, two weeks straight mm-hmm. before yeah. he got on set. And uh, we were in this big cow field yeah. shooting the opening shot. And he uh, he had the Ronin, and he was we were running around in this what was it like ninety degree weather or something? Yeah, that was insane. July in Georgia. So he's covered in sweat, uh. 
but in those run shots, he keeps tripping and falling into cow shit. So his pants are covered oh, in no. cow patties. Oh. And he's just holding that Ronin and saying, living the dream, living the dream. <laughs> I, will, I, I have that burned into my yeah. head to where whenever things get bad, he is he's 100%. Because mm-hmm. I could feel like a, a you do see his like speedy responsiveness mm-hmm. like and when you're he's like a machine yeah he's yeah. great and then y'all two just work so well together they like get on this level and they're just like mm-hmm. so in sync and we love seeing that we finally have that well I, I think very quickly we form just a shorthand mm-hmm. to where I can just point at something and say ah he's like oh yeah okay. yeah <laughs> he changes it great working relationship yeah. if we could do that because I I've, I've worked in, in in museum field in art handling there's a lot of Unique installations, and but a lot of it's simple, just lifting hauling crates and doing something, you know, that's repeated over and over. I just real quick, I have friend, a friend that I worked with for a long time, and we read each other's mind. And according to others, we spoke in half sentences. Yeah, yeah. you know, it's a and, uh, thing. Yeah, and you already know what you're. And then and I try to work that way with others. True. And it doesn't always go over. Right. I, I'm like, what are you doing? And they're like, what are you doing? Yeah. Like, you know, we're both trying to do this. Yeah. <laughs> but you're doing it. And uh, so it, it matters when you got somebody. Yeah. And I was, I, it just popped in my head, back to my close-up, if we may. <laughs> he, I, was, I was being kind of falsely modest. And I was like, oh, no, no, don't, don't use me as a close-up. And he just said, no, it has to be you. And, you know, he like just... Made the decision. There's a time, you know. Mm. There's a time restraint. You know, you didn't come here for no reason, Larry. You know. <laughs> so I was like, okay, I'll <laughs> scared face, you know, and uh, you know, and go. killed it. Yeah, I killed, yeah, yeah, exactly. So I actually, apparently, I needed some direction, you know. Yeah, and, and that's the thing. He he is fantastic with extras because mm-hmm. uh, um, if you saw with the move movement in that video where people run past the camera, yeah, because yeah. um, as a director, I just throw my hands up and say, hey, um, Brian, you direct the extras. Uh-huh. And uh-huh. he's he's got a really good way of giving everyone points to where it looks chaotic, but it's mm-hmm. perfectly organized. Because he's very good with movement. That's, yeah, that's true. He's got, yeah, 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 yeah. He's, because when you're, you're painting, you're painting with pictures, you're painting with light mm-hmm. and objects. I mean, they, they are literally, literally surrealist, surrealist works. Uh, um, I like talk about using the slow motion and the atmospheres you create because you've got a great lighting. You've got that the smoke machine always. <laughs> you know, I love the smell yeah. of the smoke. I love it. <laughs> it's nostalgic of Halloween and every setup. And all yeah, it's yeah, just, there's something yeah. about it. It gets in your throat. <laughs> I mean, why? Uh, let's, let's, I noticed you shot. You get like you get some beautiful slow motion shots. Like the, oh, thank you. The guys with the the guys, the one band that drives up in the van and sort of oh, to start trouble a, at the at the. That's a Detroit band. Store. Oh, I prevail. Uh huh. Okay, yeah, I they, prevail. All right. They came to us with a concept of uh, we want to um, uh, fill an arcade with kids. And we can't find any other production company who will do this. Do you want to do it? And we said, yeah. You mean because children, they don't want to work with children actors or they don't want to do it? I think finding an arcade that will shut down for two days on a budget and also working with 30 to 50 kids. Yeah. 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 Both of those things are 
uniquely challenging. Yeah. We thought it was going to be a nightmare, mm-hmm. but it actually was. I'm, you know, it, it gave me a lot more confidence working, mm. working with kids because, like, uh, we, we got uh, a great group of uh, just dedicated child actors, mm. and they're little professionals. Uh-huh. They, they, you know, once you call action, they're totally in the zone. In the zone. And, and they have the demeanor uh-huh. of uh, somebody who has, has been doing this for their whole life. Yeah. A lot of times, I can actually look at photographs, I can be shooting, and I'll see a a person and their outfit and the background and the things and I'll already be transferring that completely into black and white in uh-huh. my head uh-huh. Uh-huh. and so I know what colors will be shifted yeah. that'll be a gray that'll be a light gray that'll be a nice dark gray that'll be a dark 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 black gray okay and so so you can make that judgment like looking at the color looking at a red shirt right you can make a call on on what level gray where it's going to go in the yeah. tonal range yeah. yeah yeah so um because I obviously had to shoot mm-hmm. in the early days of all film. I had to shoot everything, looking through the viewfinder mm-hmm. in mm-hmm. color. Yeah, yeah. And not right. knowing what it was going to look That's like right. until right. I got into the dark room and I developed yeah. the negatives. I hand developed all my negatives for twenty years. Mm-hmm. I hand printed everything right. in black and white for all twenty years. Yeah, that's commitment. I it just, I mean, I had photography in art school, never got good at it, but. The idea of going it, of loading the film up and doing all the, you know, the getting all the chemicals, getting it all right, and and then you know, printing a, it. Yeah, then print. That's a lot. That's a lot of time in the lab. A lot. Of yeah, and I love that. I mean, that yeah. was one of my draw. I think to the black okay. and white was uh-huh. that I would finish the shoot, and I would just be so excited to get into there and uh-huh. get it in the can and to do the chemistry, and then uh-huh. pull it out and see if it's there. Hold mm-hmm. it up to the light box while it's still wet and mm-hmm. say, is it there? Is mm-hmm. it what I thought I saw at that moment in which I was yeah, shooting? Yeah. Did, I, did I see it and did I feel it? Mm-hmm. And now is it translating to actual mm-hmm. image that I thought and felt? It could have been two hours mm-hmm. before. It could have been two days before, mm-hmm. depending on how soon I could get into the dark room. Mm-hmm. There were days where I literally went straight from the shoot straight to the dark room. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. I got to see this before I go to bed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> and then I sometimes I could look at the negative and be satisfied and say, okay, I'll work on that tomorrow or the mm-hmm. next day. And there was a few small incidences where I could actually say that I went all the way to the print that day. Mm-hmm. I put it in the dryer. I dried the negatives. I came back an you know, hour later. I cut them. Uh-huh. I went into the dark room. I set up the chemicals, and I had to print it that uh-huh. night before I went to bed Amazing. because I needed to see it. Yeah. Obviously, now it's different. I see it instantaneously yeah, on the back yeah. of my camera. Um, yeah, that's a um, that's an upgrade. And so well, that was that was a that was a huge like adrenaline rush yeah. to go through all those stages to yeah. get to that final magical moment of watching the image come yeah. up through the chemistry and you were like wow there it is yeah, yeah. Um, stages that all have to be done uh, properly without you know screwing up right <laughs> yeah. don't, so don't open the can it. before the light you know you don't ruin your negatives oh shit nobody turn the light on in the room while you're working yeah mm-hmm. I mean it was did you have your own uh, dark room or yeah yeah okay yeah once I got out of college mm-hmm. I I always had my own dark room. For about 15 years, I, I either had one in the place I was living or I rented a space and me and a few other fellow photographers uh-huh. would share a dark room because we all couldn't afford our own. Okay. Um, so it was a rental kind of thing. But, yeah, I always had a dark room because, I mean, I was making a living at photography. Mm-hmm. And so 
part of my living was to give the black and white prints to the client. Uh-huh. So I would have to shoot it, develop it, and print uh-huh. it. I shot entire weddings for years and uh-huh. had to hand process every roll of wedding oh. images and then hand print every black and white print Damn. for them. Um, that's good. So there was a lot of that for years and years and years. That's. Yeah, I don't want to go back to. No, it. I don't. Yeah, I don't want you to go back to that either. Yeah. <laughs> that's pay, that's paying your dues though as a photographer. That that's not. That's like you exhausted me just by describing that. Yeah. <laughs> there was also. I mean, just one last little. Yeah. Know, I mean, there's there's other photographers will probably hopefully say this as well but there's a really nice meditative state like mm-hmm. a I would say like a painter who goes mm-hmm. into their studio and shuts out the world and turns on their music and paints yeah, for hours and they're yeah. immersed in this well the dark room was that for me because the outside world of while you're shooting is you're interacting with the mm-hmm. world and you have to interact with your subjects you have to interact with everything around you mm-hmm. and, and, and create that that shot and then when you get into the dark room you literally are in this black box in uh-huh. the dark. Yeah, yeah. And you just put on your music, uh-huh. and time doesn't exist. Suddenly you are in there for three hours, and you don't uh, even know it. Four hours go by, five hours go by. Yeah, I can, I can I hear you. you just, there's a really, there was a real peacefulness to it in there. Yeah, and it's a, self, uh, it's a, it's a self-imposed solitude, and it, and it does technically has to happen that way also so you there's no like there's no getting out of it no getting out of it and now it is now technically I don't have to do that anymore now it's sit at the the cafe (laughs) yeah and work on images and so I do miss that aspect Mm -hmm. of it of that of that quiet Mm -hmm. um, very zen time alone Mm -hmm. in the dark yeah anyway Thanks, everybody, for listening. I hope you enjoyed it. I hope you got a good idea of what you might receive uh, in the future if you listen to the podcast. Please remember to subscribe, rate and review, and become a member on my Patreon page, patreon.com slash limited perspective. See you soon. Three new episodes are on the way, so look out.